Don't say uncle. Your friend, Ira? Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch, the show where every day feels like a holiday with you, Bert. <laughs> what the fuck was that? I was going to say every day is your birthday, but then I thought of every day is holiday with you, Bert. Which is... What, the, what is that from? That's uh, I know this. I know this. It's like Mary Pop- some like Mary Poppins thing. Yes, it's Mary Poppins. It's, 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 just, Mary, it's fucking Mary Poppins. Poppins. <laughs> I watched Mary Poppins so much as a kid. Me too. Um, and that and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I was a big Dick Van Dyke mm-hmm. fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what is happening? Tell Who are you? Tell us ah, what this is. Uh, this is the show where we tell you the untold stories behind history's unforgettable songs. History's unforgettable. I love history's unforgettable songs. Season, <laughs> season three, new tagline. I love it. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Lindsay Tucker. I'm your Who am host. I? Joining me this week and every week, it's Aviv. Hi. So, <laughs> Lindsay, we last week we did a Jonestown super episode, and it seems as though we left a couple of things out. Oh, there's more than one thing. Yeah, there's a couple of things. So we got some. <laughs> so we got some mailbag. Do you want to read the first? The first one. This is from listener Tracy. Hello, Aviv and Lindsay. I kept Hi, waiting Tracy. for it. Hi. Oh, and the subject is spectacular Jim Jones fact. I know. We this is like a glaring this is like right up A, right up my fucking alley, and B, just a glaring omission. I can't even understand how. Yeah. But. I can't either. <laughs> now from now on, when we do a song, we're gonna have to like search that person and monkeys and just make sure. <laughs> Plus monkeys, question mark? <laughs> okay. Hello, Aviv and Lindsay. I kept waiting for Aviv to reveal one of the weirdest Jim Jones facts that I've ever heard, but it never happened. Fuck. So I live in Indy, and I actually lived a few blocks from the second church building Jones used for his congregation for a while. I came across a news article a while back with some wild info. There are a couple of books that mention it as well. One of the things Jim Jones did to help finance the church during his indie days was to sell monkeys door-to-door for $29 a pop as pets. This is extremely accurate. (laughs) Eyeballs bulging emoji. Apparently, (laughs) the first batch mailed to him from Calcutta, the monkeys were all dead. He did finally get some. They were alive and kicking. Along with selling them, he would give them to parishioners as rewards. Just wild. From your loyal listener, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much. So this is from the Indie Star. Uh, it, it was at Somerset Methodist where Jim Jones hashed his plan to import monkeys from Calcutta, India, and use them to raise funds, selling them as selling them as pets door to door each for twenty nine dollars he also used the monkeys as incentives to grow his congregation awarding monkeys periodically to the church members who brought in the most new members jones credited the monkey strategy with helping grow his flock to about 300 people the scheme unraveled when monkeys started started arriving in indianapolis dead multi-level monkey marketing multi-level monkeying like 
Twenty nine dollars though. How shit. how is it Imagine that easy 54? and cheap to import monkeys? <laughs> I have like like a thousand more questions. In April 1954, a shipment of three monkeys arrived and only one was alive. A week later, a shipment came of seven monkeys and three were alive and, quote, those just barely. Jones balked at paying an $89 air freight bill assessed on the original seven monkeys and abandoned them in a customs warehouse in the basement of the Federal Building in Indianapolis. Poor baby. Holy shit. There was a rescue. So assistant customs collector Eugene Oaken. Oaken sent a letter underlining to buy bananas. And then he mixed the bananas with some brandy he'd confiscated and fed the concoction to the monkeys. An hour later, according to the Indian Indianapolis Star, the three animals were able to sit up and chatter softly among themselves. Holy booze and bananas. shit. <laughs> Next time I'm sick, I'm oh going for booze and bananas. God. Okay, and there there is another omission that we made. This comes from Blank on TikTok, and Blank says, "You missed the so we uh, I, we posted a TikTok about the uh, the Jonestown basketball team and how they were they had an away game on the night of the massacre, and so they just missed out on on having to drink the flavor aid themselves." Uh, Blank writes, "You missed the part where they had an insanely bad away game. They were blown out by thirty points." So while their their family members were being murdered uh, and and uh, committing ritual suicide, the they were losing. Uh, they were getting their ankles broken <laughs> by the fucking Georgetown basketball team. Um, so thank you, Blank, and thank you, Tracy, for writing in. If if we ever miss something or get something wrong, please write in. We will mm-hmm. correct and add stuff on the air because holy shit, fuck. Uh, the monkey thing is quite crazy. And with that news, what are we talking about this week? Today we're starting where all good stories start, with Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, Shazam. It's actually Kazam. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this story involves two of the Mandela Effect's most f- favorite uh members Shaquille O'Neal and Nelson Mandela um, amazing so, so I'm going to send you a clip and it's important to note before we watch this clip that for those of you who don't know Shaq's nickname is Big Diesel there's no way this don't is true do it. there's no way this is true <laughs> go ahead I know what you're going to ask me you think Stevie Wonder can see I'm listen what are, you, what are you talking about what are you talking listen, about that's I'm the saying, craziest thing ever I'm saying we lived in a building together on Wilshire Boulevard talk to me wait alright okay, you lived in a building on. with Steve with Steve okay we used to have to drive to the bottom underneath to park your car I'm coming to the first floor that day it goes down because when I got in I didn't press the button so it went down first Stevie got in I'm standing in the corner I didn't say nothing and he looked over and he's like what up, Big Diesel? And he turned his head, hit his button, and got off. <laughs> Man, I, let, let's, Come on. I, I'm telling you what happened. I don't know if I was smelling from practice that day, but he just turned around. What's up, Diesel? Hit his button. Yeah. First of all, Shaq should do ASMR. <laughs> Shaq's got a great voice. It's this PC. It's okay. Is this, what do you mean, PC. He's the one that's been pretending to be blind for 70 years. All right, so here's a, here's another instance of Shaq telling the story. All right, you've got to tell us, though. So, it's a true story. It's a true it's story. Really... So 
according to Shaq. We lived in the building on Wilshire. So you park your car in the valets down there. So I'm already in the building. I'm coming through the lobby. Door opens. This TV wonder. He comes in, says, what's up, Shaq? <laughs> presses the button. Hold on, you story. Presses the button, gets off on the floor, buys up, goes to his room. I went and called every person I knew and told the story. They believe me. No, bro, he got on the other thing. He's like, what's up, Shaq? How you doing, big dog? I thought it was Big Diesel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I think, right. So there's some inconsistency. This is why I sent a couple. Every time it's like a little different, but I don't think it's like uh, we, we got him different i so but this is the it's story like that shania hates chicken salad you know that one uh from wait from um uh i heart huckabees right that's the story yeah. that jude law keeps telling everyone over and over shania hates mayo all right and she can't eat chicken salad that's no, no joke right we gave it to her once she threw up in the limo this is his shania hates i like there are <laughs> At least three other clips that I found of Shaq telling the same story in like a slightly different way. But it's not just Shaq that claims that Stevie isn't actually blind. According to sources, Stevie Wonder has the ability to pick hot women out of a crowd. I don't know, man. We'll get there. And there have been reports of Stevie driving cars and flying two airplanes. You don't need to see to fly an airplane. You do need to see to land one. <laughs> True. So today we set out to answer the most important question of our time. Why would Stevie Wonder fake being blind for 73 years? What about, was this like in Ray too? Yeah, Ray, Ray Charles did used to drive, drive around in, in cars. <laughs> drive, drive cars around. So Steveland Hardaway Judkins was born May 13th. 1950. Did you just make that up? Steveland <laughs> Hardaway Judkins. 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 J-U-D-K-I-N-S. Judkins. This is only relevant because he was born six months premature. And that, along mm. with the oxygen-rich atmosphere of the hospital incubator, caused uh, this thing called retin retinopathy of prematurity, or ROP. And this is condition causes the eyes to not finish growing, and the retinas detached. But maybe it was just the water in Michigan. Maybe it was just the water in It was in Michigan, actually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, his retinas detached, and he became blind. He, uh, so he, like, had sight for the first, I don't know, like, six weeks of his life. Like, really, really small amount of time but he never saw shit he was blind basically from birth his retinas are detached this isn't some i'm legally blind but i can still make stuff out shit stevie is blind okay and stevie told the guardian you know it's funny i never thought of being blind as a disadvantage and i never thought of being black as a disadvantage i am what i am i love me I don't mean that egotistically. I love that God has allowed me to take whatever it was that I had and make something out of it, right? So he had a pretty positive outlook on this whole being born black in the 50s and also blind thing. Right, for sure. This is from grunge.com. Stevie's mother, Lula Hardaway, was abandoned by her mother as a baby. And this is according to GQ. And she, Lula was the unwanted daughter of a sharecropper, and she was, like, passed off between relatives. At the age of 13, she moved in with her father, who was named Noble Hardaway, and he sent her away after two weeks. He sent 
he he was just like I don't want to live I don't want you to live here anymore. Leave two weeks. She, she was thirteen. Holy shit! Yeah, right. Not a great guy. And and so then she was living with her aunt, and she was at, she got pregnant. She was like fourteen ish, and she was she got kicked out, and so she was desperate to get married because a woman in the fifties, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so she soon married this dude, Calvin Judkins, who was 30 years older than she was. Jesus. So this is from the LA Times. Judkins beat Hardaway and forced her into prostitution. And she had to steal. Why? Col- Why can't it ever just be a good guy? I know. There's a, well, Stevie <laughs> actually is like a pretty good guy. Like I'm not lying. This isn't like uh, the the People's Temple did nothing wrong. Like I actually think that that Stevie Wonder's like kind of not a shitty dude. Um, and and he and this isn't like he's a secret murderer or whatever. Okay, but whatever. Judkins, he wasn't yeah, like Calvin, oh, let me shit. take care of this woman who's nope. been her back. Society has turned their back on her. He's like, let me fucking exploit this bitch. Exploit to her, yes. Hell. <laughs> Um, so she had to steal coal to keep her family warm. Adding to the stress of her horrible home life, Lula feared that Stevie's blindness was God's punishment for the sin that she committed about getting pregnant as a teenager or just like some, some other sin that she had committed. And she took Stevie to faith healers, like the type that Jim, like Jim Jones, like we were talking about last week. Stevie recalled, it bothered me that my mother was crying all the time, so I just told her I was happy to be blind, and I think that she felt better after that. And eventually, when Stevie was four, Lula and her kids divorced Calvin. Lula divorced Calvin and took the kids and, like, escaped his abuse. How many kids did she have? So Stevie was, the, I believe, the third, and then she had, like, five more later. But at this I'm sure point, she had a lot of access to birth control and correct. a lot of choices. Tons of choices. No, a lot no, of bodily no autonomy. One, no one had it easier in the 50s than a pregnant black teenager. Uh, so yeah, so Stevie was the young, younger, youngest of three. And uh, she and Stevie and the two siblings moved to Detroit and... Uh, Stevie attended Whitestone Baptist Church where he sang in the choir and he became a soloist at the age of eight. So he was singing solos in the in the choir at, at the age of eight. And then Lula rekindled her relationship with her first child's father, which wasn't Calvin. But they went on to have okay. two more children. So Stevie, sorry, Stevie was one of five, not one of eight. Okay. Um, but by the age of 10, Stevie taught himself a range of instruments, including the harmonica, the piano, and the drums. Uh-huh. And when he was 11 years old, uh, Ronnie White of the Motown band The Miracles, as in Smokey Robinson and The Miracles, saw him perform and called up Barry Gordy, the head of Motown Records, and was like, you have to see this kid. And so 11-year-old Stevie Wonder auditions for Barry Gordy, and Barry Gordy's like, Sign on the dotted line, kid. You're a fucking genius. But no one wanted to listen to the sweet soul sounds of Steveland Judkins. (laughs) Um, Though he was going by Steveland Morris at the time, which is, I don't know. I don't don't know why. Steveland is just an interesting name. It's actually spelled Stevland. S-T-E-V. 
S-T-E-V-L-A-N-D. Stevland. I don't know. I think it's probably Stevland, though. Um, so he was put under the, like, tutelage of this producer, Clarence Paul. And Paul was, like, a mentor to him. And it seemed as though Clarence Paul was, like, taking care of Stevie a lot. Like, like f- surrogate father figure. But Clarence Paul is the one who renamed him Stevie Wonder. As in Wonderkind. So we're relatively young compared to Stevie, and I've always thought of him as like an old man, but Stevie was a child prodigy. So in 1962, at the age of 11 or 12, the newly renamed Little Stevie Wonder was working with Clarence Paul uh, as a songwriter, and he released his debut album, which is called The Jazz Soul of Little Stevie Wonder, which is an instrumental album, and it, it was just like... This is Stevie playing the piano. This is Stevie playing the harmonica. It was like showing off that he could play all these instruments. He didn't even sing on the first album. Barry Gordy basically just thought he had found the next Mozart. And so these were original tracks. Original tracks, some standards, but mostly composed by Clarence Paul. Not Stevie Wonder. That's different from Mozart. That is different from Mozart. But was Mozart composing it at 11? I think so, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they basically they, they wanted to show off his like virtuosity. The most famous track on this record is called Fingertips. Little Stevie. The jazz soul of Little Stevie. So what it's for our for our audio only listeners, what does the record cover look like? Uh, it's Stevie, and he has on a white sweater, and his hands are kind of doing a little jazz hand, mm-hmm. and he's wearing how old is he? Like eleven? Yeah, he's like a fucking child, like child, child. And yeah, and he's wearing these black wayfarers. Also, at the age of eleven or twelve, Stevie did an album of Ray Charles covers called "A Tribute to Uncle Ray." And this had one original Stevie composition on it. It was a collaboration between Stevie and uh, Clarence Paul, his mentor. And uh, I don't know. I, I like this isn't kind of an unremarkable record, but I want to talk about how they make the like the new blind black piano player do covers of the previous blind black piano player record. I don't like when we call people uncle either, especially like. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's it was it was not a, it's not a great look in 2023 eyes, but it 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 is clearly like to me at least clearly like a marketing thing, right? Like you liked Ray, this is like Ray Charles Jr. So, at the end of 1962 when Stevie was 12, he joined the Motown Review and he toured what's called the Chitlin Circuit. We talked about this w- with our um Tutti Fruity episode, our Little Richard episode. This is theaters across America that accepted black artists, usually in the South, but like two almost entirely black audiences. And uh, he performed with the Motown Review in Alabama, and it was the first time he had ever experienced segregation. And he later recalled someone shooting at the tour bus and just barely missing the gas tank, trying to run them out of town. Fucking sweet, dude. Fucking sweet, America. dude. <laughs> and and, uh, and no racism ever happened again. Ever. But at the Regal Theater, on this tour, at the Regal Theater in Chicago, he had a 20-minute performance. That was like his set. 
and it was recorded and released in May 1963, and it was called Stevie Wonder Recorded Live, colon, The 12-Year-Old Genius. And as an encore, Stevie, Little Stevie did Fingertips, the song that we just listened to. And this wound up being his first number one hit, this live version. So we can take a listen to the live version of Fingertips, which is the one that I was familiar with before starting this, starting the research for this episode. This isn't about you. Okay, shut up. Yeah. This version is on like yeah. the Essentials Collection, which is like his be- best of. What, what are you laughing at? It's like it's called uh, fingertips. Fingertips. Yeah, very smooth, right? <laughs> I like it. I think it's like super cute. And I wasn't, like I said, I always thought Stevie of Stevie is like an old man. Because he's, he's like my mom's age. Are you calling Shosh old? No, but you don't think, like when you're born, your mother is the oldest person that you know your parents are like Besides your grandparents. ancient yeah i guess i don't know <laughs> but this is him playing the harmonica and he's like a virtual a harmonica virtuoso he's crazy good at the harmonica are you am i no i Any can't play good at harmonica. harmonica no for not for shit man <laughs> uh, my harmonica playing sucks good <laughs> good Good. Take it down a peg or two. <laughs> I can't. I cannot play a single instrument as well as Stevie Wonder can play that same instrument. <laughs> so, Fingertips Part Two was cut into a single and became Stevie's first number one record at the age of thirteen, meaning he's the youngest person in history to have a Billboard number one record. He still holds this honor. Really? Yes. I, I triple checked. This also was the first time ever that a single was simultaneously number one on the Hot 100 and on the R&B charts. If this is your first episode of the show, the in the 50s and 60s, the R&B charts were basically the segregated black people music charts. And so this was like a huge crossover hit from like a 13-year-old black artist. And because of his young age... Motown Records drew up a rolling five-year contract in which royalties would be held in a trust for Stevie until he turned 21, and his mother would be paid a weekly stipend to cover their expenses, and Stevie got $2.50 per week, which is the equivalent of about 25 bucks, and a private tutor when he was on tour. How did this turn out? Not actually, not that bad. This like miraculously doesn't sound super shitty for for a child a child star because he got the royalties. His mother got a stipend, and he got a stipend, and their expenses were covered. He did when he five tur- bucks a week. That was just his like allowance, basically, because okay. his mother got more. His mother got something else, and just Stevie got that twenty five bucks. Which is more than we make on this show. So if you want to support the show, go to lyricsforlunch.com and click on support the show. Support the show. (laughs) Um, And so in 1964, you know, he's, he's growing up. His voice is changing a little bit. And he's had like a series of not, uh, like anything after fingertips wasn't a big hit. 
And so in 64, he appeared in as himself in two films, Muscle Beach Party and Bikini Beach. He this loves is, the beach. This is little Stevie in Bikini Beach. Oh, my God. It gives me great pleasure. That's Don Rickles. To you, pleasure. Little Stevie Wonder. Little Stevie Wonder. This is Bikini Beach. This is Bikini Beach. And he's like 13 at this point. Oh, uh, yeah. Come on, everybody, and follow me. That certainly is Sister Bunny Hugs are doing. Come on, clap your hands. So, this is like exactly like the scene in that thing you do. But with old people. Yeah. But you can tell that his voice is changing a little bit. It's pretty good, though. They're dancing, though. Very cute, right? So his next few records were not successful. His voice is changing. And some Motown executives were telling Barry Gordy to cancel his contract, right? The, the, the novelty of this, like, 12-year-old genius has worn off. He can't really sing anymore. L- lose him. And one songwriter and producer at Motown, whose name is Sylvia Moy, she was like, I still believe in Stevie Give him another chance. I can rebrand him. We're going to do a song together. And part of the rebrand was they got to drop the little from his name. The little was like the novelty. Now he's just Stevie Wonder. And so Sylvia and Stevie worked together to create uh, the song Uptight, Everything is All Right. This is like one of our two songs of the week. There's like a little mini lyrics for lunch in this song. but, uh, But let's take a listen to Uptight, Everything is All Right. Let's play a quick round of Does It Slap. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the song, right? Yeah. You've been to like a white person's wedding. <laughs> of course I have. So what is so what is your what is your experience with the song? I feel like it was in like I don't know if it was like My Girl or Now and Then, but something like that. Remember some the fucking Titans? movie of my childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it definitely is that one of those songs that takes you to the place in time which is like 1966 Mr. Holland's Opus oh yeah Mr. Holland. that movie is great um, <laughs> so uh, this is from Where Did Our Love Go The Rise and Fall of Motown Sound by Nelson George and George reports Nelson George reports that Stevie had been inspired by the Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, after playing okay. several tour dates with the Stones. Yeah, you can hear it now, can't you? Yeah. Right? The riff is very similar. And uh, so Stevie presented his ideas to Sylvia Moy, and he went through everything. And Moy remembers asking, quote, are you sure you don't have anything else? And he started singing Everything is All Right uptight. And as that was as much as he had. And I, Sylvia, said, that's it. Let's work on that. And the resulting song was a, a massive hit. This creates an interesting feedback loop, too, because the Stones were heavily influenced by American R&B and country. And so yeah. now it's like coming back from England and and inspiring the next generation of R&B. It's pretty cool. 
I think it's like the good. Like, what's the opposite of cultural appropriation? Cultural appreciation? Yes. It's that. Whatever that is. So the song, Everything is Alright, Uptight, went to number one on the R&B charts, but it only hit number three on the Hot 100. What a fucking failure, Stevie. Wow. So this is from Spyscape. Around this time, Stevie was 15, and he attended a Chicago Freedom Movement rally where he met the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was his hero, already his hero. And King made a speech on the Montgomery bus boycott. Um, for those of you who don't know, there was a the people of color in Montgomery, Alabama boycotted uh, the segregated seating on the buses, Rose Parks, classic, classic history, history, like, high wow, school history stuff. I don't know that, but you're right. We there mean, are. but they're, they're removing it from curriculum. So I'm like, oh, do I Fucking have to explain great. the background of this? Yeah. And so uh, the. I remember reading this Rosa Parks book when I was in kindergarten. Me do too. you remember in kindergarten when you had those books and they were like color coded at the top mm-hmm. for reading level and they mm-hmm. kind of had like a cartoony cover? And there was a Rosa Parks book. And that yeah, was, it was like one a, of the it first It was like a books. Heroes series because of that. I remember there's like a George Washington one and like an Abe Lincoln one and a Rosa Parks one. I, I just very distinctly remember this. At the age of five, Stevie asked his mother, why don't they like colored people? What is the difference? I still can't see the difference. Want to know why? Because there is no difference. He's saying this to his mom when he's five. No. no, why don't they? Why don't they like colored people? Is what he said when they're when he was five, and then he like told this the rest to the reporter. He said, "What's the difference? No I can't difference. see the difference because there is no difference." Yeah, imagine being blind though, and like your parent trying to explain it to you, like, and that would be the no craziest thing. Sense. That would be the fucking craziest thing. And also explaining that, like, your grandmother was an enslaved person because of this thing. Right. That's literally not a thing. Not a thing at all. people think it's a thing. So Stevie went on to have a number of other hits. This, like, starts kind of the hit parade for Stevie. And so he had a bunch of hits in the 60s, um, including With a Child's Heart, Blowing in the Wind, which is a Bob Dylan song, which is, like, also kind of a, a protest kind of song and uh, his version of blowing in the wind was co-sung with his mentor clarence paul that song like oh but you may as well try and catch the wind is that donovan that's different i don't know that song blowing in the wind is how many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man the answer my friend is blowing in the wind um and he also yeah that's the one (laughs) Um, and he also began working in the Motown songwriting department, like selling songs for his label mates, like writing songs for Smokey Robinson. He wrote uh, Tears of a Clown, which is the uh, number no. one hit for Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. We're not going to listen to it. I hate Tears of it's, a Clown. But <laughs> this this was such a big song. It was a number one hit. And when it became a hit in 1970, it convinced Smokey Robinson not to quit the band. So it was like it like changed the course of his life too Smokey robinson's life too so okay more 60s stevie songs for once in my life my sharia Moore, i was made to love her and and the first one that he produced himself which is signed sealed delivered i'm yours that's definitely a now and then oh i'm sure it is he so his mother lula has songwriting credit on signed sealed delivered and i think 
I don't know for certain, but I think that he just like gave her songwriting credit so she would be taken care of, so she would have royalties. That's nice. Who covered it? Signed, sealed, delivered. I don't know. I mean, but Stevie sounds like a like a young woman at this time because he's he's still sixteen. True. Maybe it was him. Maybe maybe seventeen. Wait, let me just look up the now and then soundtrack. It was Stevie Wonder. It was Stevie. Right, it was Stevie Wonder. He sounds like a his voice is still. I fully thought this was a was a woman. woman. Yeah, I I I feel I felt that. I mean, I knew my Sharia Moore was him. Yeah, that sounds more like him. But but it also is very high. Like it's like a he's he's a, a high he sings high at this time. Um, but also because this is his first ever self produced song, he played most of the instruments on this track. So he's still like a virtuoso musician. Um, okay, back to Sky Spyscape. Okay. On the evening of April fourth, nineteen sixty eight, Stevie was on his way back to Detroit from the Michigan School for the Blind. Um, and news broke on the radio that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated in Memphis. And his driver immediately switched off the radio and they traveled the rest of the way home in silence. So five days later, Stevie flew to Atlanta to join thousands of mourners uh, at the funeral. And one of those people at the funeral one of, was uh, a black congressman named John Conyers. C-O-N-Y-E-R-S, Conyers. And Conyers had just submitted a bill, like immediately submitted a bill to make Dr. King's birthday a national holiday. But the bill failed. Shocker. Uh, But this idea ignited a crusade to commemorate his memory. um, And Stevie was like all in and wanted to like this was like one of his causes and he was joined by some of the biggest names in music at the time bob marley bob marley and michael jackson (laughs) not bono bono was (laughs) still the the apple of his mother's eye making shitty music in his bedroom it's important to note that he did all of this sang for once in my life my sheree morris signs still delivered uptight went to mlk's funeral and took up the cause of making mlk's birthday a national holiday before he turned 18. He's oh, still yeah, a minor. He's still a baby. He's still a baby, yeah. Um, so in 1972, he turns 21, and he like has like kind of this like tough negotiation with Motown where he's like, I want more creative control. I don't want to do the, this like singles, singles, singles thing. Don't want to write for other people anymore. I just want to like make records. And they're like, fuck you, no. And so it's like, fine, I'm letting my contract laps and i'm gonna make my own records and motown records is like whoa 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 whoa, not so fast and they like they blinked and so they re-signed him to tamla records which is like a subsidiary of motown and they gave him a bunch more creative freedom to make like records to make like full albums which was the, the what was happening at the time was like bands wanted to make these like magnum opuses like dark side of the moon which comes out the year after yeah. this oh wow i didn't realize yeah. those were yeah yeah so together. dark side of the moon's 73 right um and so in 72 he releases a record called talking book and there's more fucking hits on it you are the sunshine of my life and superstition and superstition has one of the most distinctive examples of uh, a instrument called the Horner clavinet keyboard, 
the sound that you hear in your head when you think of superstition is the Horner mm-hmm. clavinet keyboard. So we're going to take a, a, a listen and a watch to Stevie performing superstition on Sesame Street. Oh, I love a good Sesame Street. We got to get some Jellyman Kelly in here. <laughs> sure. So this is in season five of Sesame Street. Sesame Street started in 1968 and uh, like historically catered to black audiences, underserved audiences. And so having Stevie on was a big deal. And like Stevie just like lights the fucking shit on fire on Sesame Street does superstition. So here comes the, the clavinet. This is Sesame Street. This is Sesame. Yes, this is Sesame Street. This is why I did this one. Look <laughs> oh, there we go. Kid. Now there's a child. <laughs> fucking raging. Yeah, yeah, this isn't like Billie Eilish doing Sesame Street and changing the words to her song. They. This is an entire band with a horn section just fucking ripping up the children's television network set. Yeah, this is epic. It's so good. But... How dope do you have to be to take a whole ass instrument and just be like, no one else gets to play this ever. So you as a musician, since this day, cannot play the clavinet without referencing superstition. So anytime a clavinet is on something, it is, you have to think of superstition and you have to like acknowledge that you're doing the superstition thing. Like, uh, like you would have to acknowledge playing a cowbell in a song now references the Blue Oyster Cult song and even more so the Blue Oyster Cult SNL sketch. So originally, Superstition wasn't even intended for Stevie to sing. Uh, he wanted to give it to uh, a friend of his, guitarist Jeff Beck, who's like one of the greatest guitarists of all time. And Why are Barry you mansplaining Gordy- Jeff Beck to me? You know that there are other people that listen to this podcast, right? Why are you mansplaining Jeff Beck to our listeners? Well, does everyone know who Jeff Beck is? Great. Let's move on. (laughs) But Barry Gordy was like, absolutely the fuck not. You're going to keep this for yourself. So both Superstition and You Are the Sunshine of My Life went to number one. And between the two of them, Stevie won three Grammys. So Stevie started touring with the Rolling Stones specifically to to try to cross over and break out of just being an R&B, read black Mm. artist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's back in 73 with another album and another handful of classics, Higher Ground, which Great. fucks. Yeah. That is my... Superstition and Higher Ground are, are like tied for my favorite Stevie songs. But also on that record is Living for the City and Don't You Worry About a Thing. Don't You Worry About a Thing is so good. It's like incredible. Like it's very easy to forget how many hits Stevie had in his career. And he's 22 at this at this point. Oh my god! I like like when I was doing my research, I kept having to remind myself how young he is at each point, and so I'm glad that also I have to remind you because I'm like, <laughs> this is fucking impossible. How do you have ten songs that are like in the pantheon of songs 
Of like most epic songs of all time. By the age of 22. Yeah. So according to the book Higher Ground, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, Curtis Mayfield, and the Rise and Fall of American Soul needs a shorter title. In 1973, Stevie told Rolling Stone that he thought he was going to die soon, and he didn't really know why. And then, on August 6th of 1973, he was riding in a car with his cousin in North Carolina, and an out-of-control truck loaded with lumber smashed into the back of their vehicle. Stevie broke his skull and slipped into a coma. What? Yeah. So He broke his skull. He, he fractured his skull. Yeah, he cracked his, cracked his head open. And so Ira Tucker, who was one of Stevie's longtime friends, your uncle Ira. Don't say uncle. Your friend Ira? <laughs> cousin. Your cousin Ira uh, was Stevie's longtime friend. He went to the hospital and he said, quote, Man, I couldn't recognize him. His head was swollen up to five times its normal size, and no one could get through to him. And Ira knew that Stevie loved, like, blasting music. And so he's like, I simply have to shout in his ears to wake him up. And so he tried shouting in Stevie's ears to revive him, but that did not work. And then he's like, I know. I'll, ha- I'll sing one of Stevie's songs. So he sings Higher Ground directly into Stevie's ear, and Stevie wakes up. I don't know if I buy any of this shit, but it's a very fun story. Um, He was in a coma for four days. Dude. Yeah. And then within a couple weeks, he was, quote, entertaining the whole hospital staff with his antics. So this accident resulted in a partial loss of his sense of smell and a temporary loss of taste. And his doctors are like, Stevie, your brain was on the outside of your body briefly. Was it Maybe. though? You said it was a fracture. He br- he broke his well. Okay, so the doctors are like Stevie, <laughs> you broke your 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 head bone. Please just chill out from performing for a minute. And Stevie's like, no, and then performed at a homecoming benefit for Shaw University, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina, in November of '73. Because the university was facing financial difficulties and Stevie was a member of the board of trustees. And so he got some of his Motown buddies to put on a performance and raise $10,000 for scholarships for the university. It's about 70, 70 grand in today's money. Damn. So in 1975, he performs a historic concert called the wonder dream concert in kingston jamaica to benefit the jamaican institute of the blind um this is just like more of his philanthropy and then in 75 full well he had a couple he had a bunch of wives it doesn't seem like they overlapped Hmm. um but by 1975 by the age of 24 stevie had won two consecutive grammys for his album's inner visions and fulfilling this is first finale fulfilling this is first finale is the name of the the record and uh in 76 paul simon won the grammy for album of the uh, album of the year for still crazy after all these years his, his record and he said in his speech i'd like to thank stevie wonder for not making an album this year Aww. but that's because stevie was busy he didn't release an album in 70 in in like the beginning of 76 in time for Grammy season because he was busy working on his magnum opus songs in the key of life 
which is a two LP record. There's Mm -hmm. 21 songs on it. If you count the accompanying EP, which has four songs, which I do, it's 105 minutes long. Yeah, I have that one on vinyl. Yeah, this is this is the one that is like the 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 Stevie Wonder must have. It has I wish Sir Duke isn't she lovely, which is written about his newborn daughter Aisha. Um, he played harmonica, drums, piano, and other percussion on it, and synth bass. And there are sixty additional musicians credited on the album, including second best piano player in the world after Stevie Wonder, Herbie Hancock. Wow. Herbie Hancock is second behind Stevie Wonder. I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of making stuff up. But Herbie, but like if you need a jazz pianist, you call Herbie Hancock. And like right. even Stevie Wonder's like, get me Herbie Hancock. <laughs> yeah. And guitarist Snuffy Walden, who would later go on to compose all of the West Wing score. Ooh. Yeah, he played he played the guitar. Also, I assume you haven't watched Scandal, but Stevie Wonder is like incremental. Whenever there's something like really important that happens on Scandal, it's a Stevie Wonder song is in the Ooh, score. That's fun. Yeah. No, I haven't watched Scandal because I don't care about it. Well, it's really great. So Songs in the Key of Life sold 5 million copies in the U.S. alone and obviously won Stevie Album of the Year Grammy in the following Grammys. <laughs> He's like, give me, give me that back, Paul. <laughs> so in 79... Stevie agreed to do the soundtrack for a documentary about plants called The Secret Life of Plants. And for this, he used something called the com- a computer music melodeon. And this is a computer-based instrument that could emulate different analog instruments because it had like a library of samples. So you would this like sounds feed- like AI. It kind of it, it's like it's like an early synthesizer, right? So you would you would feed in samples of a violin playing each note in a scale, and then you could play the piano and it would sound like a violin. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. So so this is from grunge.com. A few years earlier, in 1976, Stevie had heard an NBC broadcast about an ingenious machine uh, and, and its inventor, Ray Kurzweil. And Kurzweil had built a device that could read text out loud to blind people. It was called the Kurzweil Reading Machine, which is not a great name. But Stevie became the first person ever to buy the reading machine, and he befriended Ray Kurzweil. And so Kurzweil, what Stevie was for music, Kurzweil was for tech. He was a tech prodigy, and at 15, he programmed a computer to read music and to make original compositions. And so 13 years later, Kurzweil's 28. He appears on TV with his reading machine. And now Stevie and he are friends. Stevie wants him to create a device that could accurately mimic the sounds of different instruments without having to uh, play back, without having to input recordings, right? So you have to feed the computer music melodeon samples to, to get it to work. He wants mm-hmm. a thing that can just create its own thing. A and keyboard. so. The Casio. Yes, actually. So not a Casio, a Kurzweil. Kurzweil is now known for making synthesizers. Um, And so Stevie and Ray Kurzweil co-founded a company. And Kurzweil did all the tech stuff. And Stevie was the musical advisor. And the result was something called the Kurzweil 250, which is a computer keyboard hybrid that uh, you you had different voices. So you press a button 
and it would have a different voice so it could sound like any instrument or a human voice and this was introduced into the to the public in 1984 so basically if you were a kid and you messed around on a keyboard on like a little synthesizer like different voice settings that's because of stevie wonder it's ju- mine was like it had that song that would go dun, 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 yeah. do you know that one the the pre-pro i don't know the the pre-programmed casio things i there one there's a casio one that i remember that isn't that um that i like periodically want to like use as background music for videos um and i can't find it online so if anyone has like an old casio keyboard Bum 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 ba 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 it's like very smooth it's like hold music sounds very smooth it is way more like hamster running on a wheel so this this thing is the first computerized instrument in the world that could reproduce the sound of orchestral instruments and it uses something called contoured sound modeling in order to get dynamic range from each virtual instrument so this is a huge fucking deal so you remember how i was talking about how you have to feed samples into the the other Mm -hmm. the the melodeon Mm -hmm. so that doesn't take into account dynamic range so when you hit a piano key there are like the speed and force with which you hit the piano key affects the note and so you would have to record a dozen different types of notes for each note that you're feeding into the melodeon versus this contoured sound modeling where if you hit the key hard it plays the note hard right mm, this is mm-hmm. changed the world so also in 1979, that bill that Representative John Conyers introduced to make Dr. King's birthday a federal holiday came for a vote. It took 11 years for there to be another vote making MLK Day a national holiday. And once again, it failed. Oh. So the bill needed a two-thirds majority to pass, and it fell five votes short. And this was a there was a strong organizational effort from the King Center and even support from President Jimmy Carter. Two for two on Jimmy Carter appearances in this episode <laughs> in this in this show. But Stevie was invigorated and no longer seventeen. Right? So now he feels like he can actually do something about this. Yeah. So his his next album is called Hotter Than July, and it became Stevie's first platinum selling single album, as opposed to Songs in the Key of Life, which is a double album. And the lead single of the album is Stevie's version of Happy Birthday, which is our song of the week. So you can definitely hear Stevie's really embraced this digital sound. And he's kind of stayed there for the rest of his career. Also, he has like a Magnum P.I. vibe. It does kind of have a Magnum P.I. vibe. So you're not familiar with the song at all, right? 
this is, according to the internet and my own experience, the version of happy birthday in the black community. So, like, you're bringing out a cake and you sing in this? You sing happy birthday to you. Yeah. And so, because of this, I'm really familiar with the chorus, but not the verses. So, uh, we're going to take a look at the lyrics to the song in just a, just a minute. Clear as he 
friends with like a gang of brothers the wilts okay and vince wilt is my godfather and then his brother bruce had a bunch of daughters and when we were really young we grew up together and they're kind of those like family friends where when you get together your parents when you see it look back now as an adult you're like oh our parents were just like getting bombed and leaving us totally unaccompanied but as a kid having key parties yeah but as a kid you're having the time of your life because you're just running amok so we always had so much fun with them and they introduced me to jungle fever yes we we don't talk about jungle fever at all in this episode because there's too much there and and I have never done a deep dive on on it myself, but that was a song that was introduced to me by the Wilt Girls. We choreographed a dance to it, performed it in the basement. Inappropriate. <laughs> Fucking inappropriate. And we Canceled. asked Bruce, "What does it mean?" What does it mean, Bruce? And he told us that it's an interracial couple. Not all the way wrong. I mean, not all the way right either. Nope, but, uh, you know, child-proofing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right on. Holy shit. Um, that's, a, that's rough for you. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I am extremely glad that I did not have to go through any of that. I didn't want to be also, on any... Also, imagine, like, a bunch of white girls, like, hey, we have this a is... dance. We really I don't want to like show it. you guys. I don't want to imagine this at all. <laughs> Yeah, so so this is about 10 years before Jungle Fever. <laughs> which was written for the movie Jungle Fever. That was Spike Lee? Spike Lee, yeah. All right, lyrics. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right, my start? Mm-hmm. You know it doesn't make much sense. There ought to be a law against anyone who takes offense at a day in your celebration because we all know in our minds that there ought to be a time that we can set aside to show just how much we love you. And I'm sure you would agree what could fit more perfectly than to have a world party on the day you came to be. Happy birthday to you. I just never understood how a man who died for good could not have a day that would be set aside for his recognition because it should never be just because some cannot see the dream as clear as he that they should make it become an illusion and we all know everything that he stood for time will bring for in peace our hearts will sing thanks to martin luther king wow happy birthday to you why has there never been a holiday where peace is celebrated all throughout the world the time is overdue for people like me and you who know the way to truth is love and unity to all God's children. It should be a great event and the whole day should be spent in full remembrance of those who lived and died for the oneness of all people. So let us all begin. We know that love can win 
let it out, don't hold in, sing as loud as you can, happy birthday to you. We know the key to unity of all people is in the dream that you had so long ago that lives in all of the hearts of people that believe in unity. We'll make the dream become a reality. I know we will because our hearts tell us so. Happy birthday. So this was a campaign vehicle to establish MLK Jr.'s birthday as a national holiday, and it fucking worked. It did? It this did. This was the catalyst? This was the, this was the catalyst, yeah. So the, the, this is part of it. So this is from ConstitutionCenter.org. The King Center organized a march on Washington that included an estimate that included about a half a million people. Uh, Scott King, along with Stevie Wonder, presented a petition signed by six million people to House leader Tip O'Neill. And the House of Representatives took up the bill in 1983, and it passed by 53 votes. And then Democrats, Jim O'Neill, Democrats, Tip O'Neill, Jim Wright, and Republican Jack Kemp and Newt Gingrich made speeches, Newt. made speeches in support of this holiday. So imagine like that petition, right? Like it's not like electronic signatures. No, it's like a stack. <laughs> ha- six million names. Yeah. So uh, the bill getting, but the bill had to pass the Senate and that would be contentious. So Senator Jesse usually Helms. Is. Usually is. The Senate should be abolished. <laughs> um, so Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina openly opposed it. Do you know who Jesse Helms was? A piece of shit racist from the South. Yeah, but to specific, just be more specific, will you? So he was he was a, like a segregationist. He 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 was a a very shitty person. But yeah, that's um, what I said. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> uh, at first, Jesse Helms introduced a filibuster, and then. He presented a 400-page filing that accused Dr. King of being a communist. He had a filibuster over a fucking extra holiday in the year? 1983, baby. Wow. 400. And, and not to be like outdone, he, he, was, he did like a McCarthy letter where he's just like, Dr. King, I have 400 pages accusing Dr. King of being a communist. Right. So Senator Ted Kennedy criticized Jesse Helms. And also there was a Senator Daniel Moynihan um, who, who was like Jesse Helms' like right-hand man. Uh, his little like impish, salacious crumb. Um, and Ted Kennedy called the document filth. So Ted Kennedy murderer. Well, vehicular manslaughterer. He left her there to die. Negligent homicider, Ted Kennedy. But Kennedy criticized Helms and D.P. Moynihan, and he called the document filth, and he threw it on the floor of the Senate. He's just like, get this shit out of my face. He threw it on the floor of his girlfriend's sinking car. It got all waterlogged. You couldn't read it anymore. <laughs> Sorry, I just I can't with that one. Yeah, listen, that he's dead. It's 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 fine. I'm just saying. I'm you know. He was at my grandpa's funeral. Okay, why? Not because to see of the my Jungle Fever performance. <laughs> no. Well, my grandpa was buried in Arlington, and oh, okay. that day, John Kerry and Ted Kennedy were there because there was a 
child soldier from Massachusetts who had been killed. Fuck. Gotta love children soldiers. So, yeah, so we were just all there together. Right on, man. The death of our loved ones. <laughs> um, so despite all that, uh, the bill passed. The bill passed by, by the Senate by 12 votes. Even Strom Thurmond voted in favor of it. Ooh. Strom Thurmond, who sexually harassed my cousin's wife. Wow. That's really special. It's, it is very. This it episode is, a, is just full of American heroes. It is the it is the Shania Twain hates tuna fish of chicken, chicken salad. salad. It is the Shania Twain hates chicken <laughs> salad of our family. The lady hates chicken salad. Is like the time that Strom Thurmond asked Wendy to help him off of a plane, and then so. Uh, In 1983, the president signed the bill into law. And, of course, in 1983, the president was Ronald fucking Reagan. Because who else would it be? (laughs) Because who who else? Um, But the first federal Dr. King holiday was celebrated in 1986. So we were both alive. Happy birthday to us. (laughs) So it took longer for each of the states to adopt the holiday so in 86 17 states had adopted it but there was it was a state's thing it was a state's thing this is not gonna feel good in a second no it already doesn't feel good the so the a bunch of states had adopted it in 86 but there was strong resistance specifically in the state of arizona so the fight between state legislators came to a head when the King holiday was put up for an Arizona voter referendum in November of 1990. And at that point, entertainers like singers and whatever started boycotting the state in protest. And the NFL threatened to move the Super Bowl, the 1993 Super Bowl, which was going to be in Tempe, if they didn't, uh, if, if they didn't allow MLK Day to be a holiday, right? If, if it was defeated at the polls, this, they would uh, the NFL would move the Super Bowl, and so the King Holiday lost in a voter referendum, and the NFL made good on its threat and moved the Super Bowl to Southern California, and it cost the state of Arizona five hundred million dollars in revenue. Oh yeah, take that, motherfuckers! I never thought I'd see the day when the NFL was like the good guys no, in a story. But this is like this is such an interesting thing when your racism butts up against your capitalism. Like, which one's gonna win? True. So, I'm just like, I do you even? Do I, I even? The NFL is just such a complicated entity. It really, 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 really is. The Arizona voters approved the MLK holiday in 1993. There is also a fight in South Carolina, if you can believe it. Over the holiday, and South Carolina was one of the last states to approve the holiday for state employees in the year 2000. Wow. Okay, but this is crazy. When you said 93, I know you said 86. It was soft launch. Soft Um, launch, yeah. (laughs) Actually, hard launch, right? Like, fucking not soft launch. The federal government's like, hey, this is a holiday, and Arizona's like, is it though? Yeah. Okay. Fine. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I we grew up. We never. I I wasn't aware when I was one year before I was one. Right. Like, yeah. 
I never existed without knowing MLK Day as a national holiday. But it just, I never knew that it just happened, like, right then. Yeah, I would have also assumed that it was, like, 1969. Like, <laughs> yeah. like immediately. Yeah. But I also, also like, I had no idea about all this, F, uh, the FBI stuff and how the FBI, like, there's a, like, credible, credible theory that the FBI assassinated him. Um, or at least encouraged him to get assassinated by someone else or himself. Um, so South Carolina, Utah, Virginia, and New Hampshire were the last states to recognize MLK Day as a holiday, all in the year 2000, but New Hampshire, 99. So really New good stuff, Hampshire, guys. New Hampshire, 1999? The it, live it, free or die state? Because it's so libertarian, right? Like, it's, I mean, like, listen, there's a lot of racism in New England that's, like, a different flavor of racism than the South. But I think it's it's because they just don't like a- any federal, any, yeah, being told anything, right? <laughs> um, but Stevie didn't stop with MLK. So in, 80, in 1982, Stevie Wonder teamed up with ex-Beatle Paul, Mac- Paul McCartney for the number one U.S. and U.K. single, Ebony and... Nope. Ebony and Ivory. Do you know that Ew, song? I don't like it. <laughs> a song promoting racial harmony that was featured on Paul McCartney's album, Tug of War. You see, because the blacks... I also have that one. Of course you do. Because the blacks and the whites live in perfect harmony on the piano keyboard, Lindsay. Yuck. Oh, yeah. So smooth. so cringy so it's very cringy and this is this is part of what i don't like about paul is like without a uh, like an influence in his life being like that's that's shite paul like he doesn't make good music and hasn't since since john was i like, like a lot of wing stuff you're you're wrong <laughs> wings is horrible paul mccartney in your fucking ivory tower ebony tower being like, can't we just live in harmony? It's yeah, fine. Man. Like, that is like... What, dude? That's also what kind of passed for activism back then. He was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the plight of the black people, and I was like, that's wrong, man. Let's all just be friends. Yeah, Paul. but he needs to fucking unpack his privilege. Check your privilege at the door, Paul. Anyway, this uh, this inspired my favorite... My one of my favorite SNL sketches. Uh, Eddie Murphy plays uh, Stevie Wonder and did several sketches as Stevie Wonder, sometimes with Stevie Wonder, which is also a very good good one. But this this one's my favorite. It's Joe Piscopo as Frank Sinatra and Eddie Murphy as Stevie Wonder singing Ebony and Ivory. Hey, Stevie, what the hell are we beating around the bush for? This is 1982. Let's get right to the point, huh? Here, take it from the tops. We'll swing it, Stevie, with a bounce, baby. You are black, I am white, life's an Eskimo pie, let's 
take a bite. That was groovy thinking, Lincoln, when you set them free. We all know cats are the same name to Mexico. Good, bad guys and chicks. I am dark and you are light. You are blind as a bat and I have sight. Side by side you are my amigo. Negro, let's not fight. Heavenly That's and good. ivory yeah, just yep. living in perfect harmony. We're talking salt and pepper, oh, Sammy and Dean, oh, Stevie and me are peachy king. You are white, you are black, and the who cares? Incredible, incredibly weird sketch. So very, very weird. So weird. So, um, in addition to the ebony and ivory stuff, on Valentine's Day of 1985, Stevie showed up at the South African Embassy in Washington, D.C. He pulled up in a limousine, and he was wearing a fur coat, and he had a sign around his neck that read, Free South Africa. And he volunteered to be arrested alongside 47 other people declaring himself a conscientious criminal and describing his detention as an expression of love to all the people of South Africa who are against the barbaric policies of apartheid. Hmm. The following month, he won an Oscar for Best Original Song for I Just Called to Say I Love You, which is from The Woman in Red, and he dedicated the award from the Oscar stage to Nelson Mandela, who at the time was still imprisoned in Polesmoor Prison. So... The South African government banned Stevie Wonder. <gasps> of course they did. By the way, Stevie is 33 at this point. Holy shit, he's still younger than us. He's still younger than what if what do we have to show for ourselves? Fucking nothing. He also part of this ban was also because he hired exiled South African musicians to play on a song called It's Wrong, parentheses apartheid for his for his album in square circles so we're going to take a quick listen to it's wrong parentheses apartheid let me tell you i wanted to hate this song for the same reasons that like ebony and ivory is very cheesy but i fucking really like this song it's just like there's something so cringy about like a rich white guy being like we live in harmony yeah it's easy to live in harmony when you live in a gated community wretchedness of satan's wrath will come to seize you at last because even he frowns upon the deeds you're doing 
holy shit. First of all, holy shit. Called um, out. Called out. Like, even, Satan, even Satan's like, you guys done fucked up. Um, and you know, deep in your heart, you have no covenant with God because he would never countenance people abusing. You know apartheid is wrong, like slavery was wrong, like the Holocaust was wrong. Apartheid is wrong. The pain you cause in God's name points only to yourself to blame for the negative karma you will be receiving because when the people are oppressed with atrocities that, that test the future of all mankind, we the world won't stand seeing. This song goes hot for like a fucking jazzy synth pop song. This the lyrics of the song go fucking hard. Yeah. Like I said, I wanted to fucking think the song was super cheesy, and even like as I was kind of writing about it and listening to it, I was like, "This is kind of cheesy." And then I heard him sing, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" Because I'm sure, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like they're it's like the '80s, right? They're like Stevie, you're doing great. White people love you. Just keep yep. it clean. Yeah, there's <laughs> something. There's something very. He's you know. It's it's tough to compare him to OJ, but like in the eighties, he was like the OJ. He's not black; he's Stevie. And Stevie's like, no, no, I'm gonna be blackity black, black, black. I'm gonna get arrested for uh, protesting apartheid. I'm gonna basically. Now, I want to don't want to say single handedly, but I want to like be an instrumental part in making Dr. King's birthday a holiday. Like, I'm black. I'm Stevie. And I'm black. And still, like white old men love him. Because he's safe? I don't know. I was going to ask, like, is he non-threatening, like, because he's blind? Like, I don't want to sound like I'm fucked up, but I'm wondering. Yeah. Like, like, what about him isn't threatening to people like old boomers who are threatened by Colin Kaepernick? Sure. So I think part of it is that he was in their lives for as long as they've been alive basically right because he started in the in the early 60s and he makes it go down very easily right like like spoonful of sugar kind of and it's easy to ignore it if you don't want to see it right i've heard that happy birthday song for decades and i had no idea that the verse lyrics were about dr martin luther king um and like there wasn't like a massive right wing media apparatus like calling him out. Stevie Wonder's gone woke. True. Like, like I think that we have like a weird like I don't know propaganda machine that's in in the U.S. that's like adding fuel to the fire of these like nonsense nothing stories. Yeah. But I don't know if we have any older white boomer listeners who like our parents. Yeah, who who like don't like black people that much but love Stevie Wonder. Why? Um so at in nineteen ninety six why? In nineteen ninety six, at the age of forty five, Stevie earned two Grammys for his record Conversation Peace, P E A C E. And in that same year, he received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Forty five. That's the age I hope to retire. So I, I don't. I don't know about that, man. I'm gonna still be paying off my student loans. Uh, so this brings us all the way up to 2010, where after the uh, Stevie was asked to play 
at a performance at the White House with his ebony and ivory collaborator, Paul McCartney. And it sparked some speculation that maybe this motherfucker can see. Do you remember that? Remember how we started I've been the thinking about it the whole time, but just keeping my little mouth shut. Here, we, here it is. So during a performance of Hey Jude with like a bunch of people on stage, including Herbie Hancock, Jack White, a real cursed bunch, Jerry Seinfeld. What? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Uh, during he a performance of hey, of hey Jude, Paul McCartney knocked over a mic stand, and Stevie Wonder can be seen on the video catching it as it's about to fall. And then he just catches it. I, I, I don't. Let's play it again. Let's replay it. I need to slow it down. Okay, so here comes Paul McCartney around. Knocks it with his head. He knocks it with his head. It falls forward. And there's Stevie catching it. No, it hits him in the chest. It certainly does not hit him in the chest. There are a lot of internet videos speculating. Let's so, so let's see if we can address some of these rumors of about Stevie's site. Grunge.com reports that as an adult, he went to the movies, went bowling, and even navigated airports by himself. According to one of his assistants, people on airplanes thought that Stevie was like a junkie because he just sits there with the glasses on as his head goes back and forth side to side when he feels good. In a TMZ video, Stevie from 2017, Stevie jokes with a cameraman about having a potential reality show, but he admits that the the show might be too invasive. And when the cameraman tells Stevie that he could be like the Kardashians, uh, Stevie goes, I could make a lot of money, huh? Buy me a few planes, maybe fly them. He goes on to say, I flew a plane once. Well, actually twice. I actually landed the plane. So this is true. Some of Stevie, this is back to grunge.com. Some of Stevie Wonder's feats have been surreal. In 1973, he told Rolling Stone in that same interview where he said he was going to die. Uh, I've flown a plane before, a Cessna or something, from Chicago to New York. It scared the hell out of anybody, out of everybody. During a trip to Ghana, Stevie not only steered, but landed a 10-seater plane simply by following instructions given to him by the pilot. The pilot recalled, quote, the sensitivity of his hands was unbelievable. I believe it. So... Uh, the back to the the TMZ like back and forth. Uh, the TMZ asked, "Are you going to come out one day and just go surprise, like he can Hoo-wah. see?" And Stevie said, "This year I will reveal the truth." That was 2017. But Shaq isn't the only celebrity that thinks Stevie can see. ESPN sports writer Bomani Jones shot an eight-minute video ranting about Stevie Wonder's curious decision to compete in Dancing with the Stars. So I have some of the video, and it literally is just him being like, why is this motherfucker dancing? So I, I'm just going to pull is the Is it a quote. crime to dance? It is, it is, it is in Footloose Town. <laughs> uh, quote, is competitive ballroom dancing something that is typically like, do blind people do that? I don't think there's anything wrong with me for having questions about these sorts of things. This is what he said in part of this video. But the fact check 
to fact check it, Stevie actually appeared as a guest performer and his son, Mandela Morris, as in name for Nelson Mandela, danced uh, in Dancing with the Stars Juniors. So CB really didn't? So, okay. But let's talk about maybe some of Stevie's friends think that he can see. Because, like, Shaq wasn't his friend. They just lived in the same building. Would you take Lionel Richie, for example? So let's talk Stevie Wonder, because I know y'all are friends. Do y'all, like, literally hang out all the time? And like Stevie is probably, I'm going to tell you something. I, I've been spending my whole life with him thinking he can see. I know he can see. He can, I, I, mean, I thought I you he, said sing. I, I, no, he can see. Listen, uh, the story I tell that's the funniest, I went to his house. He says, want to hear a new song? I've got it in the car. Come on, go with me. We go out to the car. He says, you sit on the passenger side. I'll sit on the driver's side. He goes in. He cranks the car up. He puts the tape in, right? And then he does this. <laughs> and it starts driving back down the driveway. No, sir. And I screamed, said, Stevie, what are you doing? And he said, ah, got you, didn't I? But... <laughs> okay. Would you also, would you also take P. Diddy? So P. Diddy was on Jimmy Fallon, Puff Daddy for- I thought he was the, Diddy you, now. I don't know, whatever. The P Diddy, is silent. Puff Lion, um, Sean Combs was on Jimmy Fallon talking about like the candy room in his house. He like he has like a a, a room that's like dedicated to like a can- like looking like a candy store. And so he talks about Stevie Wonder coming to uh visit him in the candy in the candy room. Oh, I'm sorry. It's n- not not Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel. This is P Diddy's candy room. Not creepy at all. P. Diddy's candy room. That's right. Great. Let's do it. What's wrong with this? Who's the most famous person that's been in the candy room? Um, Probably Stevie Wonder. Really? That's a good one. Stevie Wonder. Yes, yes. What did he have? Did he... I mean, well, all of a sudden, my head is just going in a million different places, but... (laughs) Like, did you tell him which candies were there? (laughs) Man. I mean... The way, you know, the way Stevie moves, he just, he just go and he knows what he wants. He it's knows like, what he wants. It's not, no, he's, he's not, you never seen Stevie doing that. You know, like he doesn't know where he's going. He always knows where everything yeah, is. Yeah, he'll tell you what you have on. <laughs> For real. I mean, he's literally told me. Has he like really? That, yes. He knows like what the, what the, the material yeah. is or what the designer is? I mean, he'll, he'll explain what he sees. Oh, really? Yeah. And is it right or you just tell him it was right? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, Stevie, you did it again. No. Yeah, I'm wearing my Ghostbusters jumpsuit. <laughs> nah, no, he's right. He'll say, he'll say you have on a blue suit and a blue white striped tie. I, I don't know. Even if Stevie can see, like, lights and darks and shades and, like, the shape of Shaquille O'Neal, like, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. So uh, I'll give you one more. Anthony Anderson from Blackish talks about his his belief that Stevie can see on the Colbert Late Show. Speaking of uh, of kicking ass, I understand that you also challenged uh, another great icon, not to a fight, but to a contest. And I want to make sure I have this right because I'm going to give you an opportunity to dispel a rumor here. Okay. Did you challenge Stevie Wonder to a basketball game? <laughs> 
I did. Okay, see, okay, what y'all don't know? You were gonna dunk on Stevie? What, what y'all don't know, Stevie can see. Stevie can see. It's just an act. He can see? Stevie can see. Stevie flew me to uh, Tobago one time for uh, a, a jazz festival that he was uh, producing. And I'm on stage with Chris Tucker and Johnny Gill. Chris Tucker and I are Johnny Gill's background dancers. Stevie walks on stage, walks to me, looks me dead in my eye and says, Anthony, get me to a piano. I was like, Stevie, well, hell, if you just walked to me, you could have walked to the piano. <laughs> he caught himself. He caught himself and had to play it off. And so I took him to the piano and he played. But yes, I did challenge him to a game of one-on-one -on -one basketball for a charity event that he does for his son and uh, for any city youth. He then he said, you know what, Anthony, I don't want to embarrass you one-on-one, -on -one, so let's just do it free throws. And uh, he won. <laughs> he won. He won. He, honest, he won. Okay. Stevie so, Wonder won. So it's a long con. Yes. I'm telling you, have him on the show. Put stuff in his way. I bet you he step over it. <laughs> Put stuff in his All way. All right. Just be Stevie. Stevie, come here. Stevie gonna do this. Stevie gonna be. He's gonna do that. I'm telling you what Stevie's gonna Stevie, do. Please join us. Please, Stevie, please join us. Did he? <laughs> he did not. So, in 1999, Stevie told The Guardian that he signed up for an experimental procedure that would partially restore his vision. But that procedure was at least 10 years away, and there's no follow up as to whether the procedure ever happened. So what do you think? Is it a con? Is it, did he have the procedure? Can he see? Is it just luck? Does he have a, a, a secret shining sense? What, what's going on? How can, he, how can he play basketball and tell when Shaquille O'Neal is in an elevator and tell what P. Diddy is wearing and, and navigate the candy room and fly a plane? I think it's the shining. You think I, I honestly also do. Whether Stevie has the power or sight or not, from his music to his pioneering of digital technology to his work, digital music technology to his work on civil rights, it's clear that it's clear that Stevie can see. You know what I mean? He sees dead people. He sees the future. <laughs> um, so what are we going out on this week, Lindsay? I see dead people. You do not see dead people. So uh, Shaq is no stranger to the music business himself. And in 1993, he released an album called Shaq Diesel. And to commemorate the 30th anniversary of Shaq Diesel, which is in October, about a month away, uh, we're going to go out on Shaq's single, his first single from Shaq Diesel, I Know I Got Skills. I know I got Skills. I don't know if that's it. Uh, tell me when. <laughs> I wish you could have heard the instrumentation that I heard in my head that when I made that fucking... up. <laughs> great, great, great. It was kind of like, whoop, there it is. But it was like, no, I got skills. Okay, let's see. Let's see if you're right. Let's see if you can see. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Where can people find us on the internet, Lindsay? Right. Like find that. us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter so and Lyrics for Dot four dot one. On, TikTok. on TikTok. On TikTok. And if we forgot anything, if there's like an amazing piece of, of, of trivia that you know about an artist that we've covered that we left out, let us know. We'll read it on the show. We'll apologize to you. And uh, and tune in next. Oh, for longer and weirder stuff, send us an email at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. And at lyricsforlunch.com, you can support the show by clicking on support the show. 
What is this? This is just like interpolating. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to do like a gangster rap thing. It's not bad. He like isn't bad at rapping. He's got skills. I know I got skills, man. Yeah, it definitely is is ripping. Um, you want to finish the episode? Join us next week when we do this all again. <laughs> cool. And until then, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, that motherfucker can see. Boom shakalakalaka. I got a hand that'll rock your cradle. Cream you like cheese, spread you on my bagel. My Ford Explorer booming with the clunk of funk. All you jealous punks can't stop my dunks. The brand new like heavy. Uh,